very sad week for England and therefore the world. We come in this next week a little a little down on our luck after that England Italy result, of course. One to one through full time, extra time, and then England dropping it and penalties on you know, on the last shot, bringing in Bo Parker and Alex with me, uh, just the three of us this week. It was a rough go, I think, for everyone here. I can't imagine you know, how the rest of the guys feel, how our European correspondents feel. I'm sure that it's rough for them. Guys, uh, I know we want to keep it a little bit short today, but let's lead in with this. Uh, this kind of feels like you ha- you have you know bases loaded, bottom of the ninth in the World Series, and I think Alex, you and I were talking about it. England needed the save to stay in it, and it's kind of like you you walk the guy in after like a ten pitch at bat. It's just gut wrenching, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Pickford did everything right in that last save to force the shot, and then it was a just a cleat to the chest. It was painful, and I will give amazing credit to all of our friends you know from England that were watching that game with us they held their heads high they they persevered through it but I think going into PKs we all kind of knew what was gonna happen I mean I called it a week before saying that if we go to PKs we're gonna fucking lose and we lost and maybe it's Southgate bringing in two ice cold players to take penalties I don't know I don't know, maybe it's just the jinx that's been on for 55 years, but there's always next year. And one thing I will say, Rob, is when that game started, and even before the game started, when God Save the Queen came on, that was one of the most electrically charged sporting, you know, just scenes I've ever been a part of. And then that first goal two minutes in, oh my God, it was like a Swayze beer shower inside the pub was it not uh, it was amazing i'm so glad that i got uh, a video of everyone doing god save the queen it was amazing uh yeah more packed than i've seen people in there for the world cup uh, i mean mainly because england was in the final uh but yeah it, it was an electric factory when you come out like that i think everyone kind of knew though it's not the style of soccer football that England likes to play. They can get out to a 1-0 lead and feel pretty comfortable with it and try to coast the rest of the game. And when you're doing that in the second minute, you got quite a bit to play. Uh, you know, there's some other nations, uh, like Germany, for example. If they go up on you, they want to keep going up on you. It's not comfortable, and that's why they win 3-0 or, you know, if they have to squeak out a 2-1 win or something like that. Uh, you know, other teams can do that. England kind of historically is pretty comfortable getting to one nil and then they'll then they'll take it from there at least in in my knowledge of it so it was a it was a pretty heartbreaking event um like i said i I was very upset about it i can't imagine how how people from there uh felt about it and you're right they did hold their heads up high Uh, i mean we got the world cup next year we got the olympics coming up uh let's ask our resident brit how he feels about it bo welcome in yeah, thank you, Rob, and and I think you guys nailed it. It's absolutely devastating, and for all the obvious reasons. I mean, you're playing at Wembley. Uh, you haven't been at this level, been at this type of, of final match in a long, long time. Coming as favorites, 
across the board. Not heavy favorites, but as favorites. And then in the first five minutes to score a goal, that way it just looks so good. And then, but frankly, for the next, what, 105 minutes, England looked like they deserved to lose. Yeah, they were on the run. They were on the run. If you look at the numbers, uh, England had 34% possession. Um, They only had two shots on target the entire match. Uh, On the other side, you know, Italy, six shots on target. This was a match where the refs were letting the boys play, which I absolutely love, especially in a Euro final. Italy took advantage of that. I actually think five yellow cards for them in this match is a sign that they were playing hard. They were playing with a lot of heart. England on the other side, they just, they weren't. And then for them to make it to PKs and then to be up 2-1 in PKs, they really, they, they frankly didn't deserve to make it all the way there. And then, as you said, Alex, you put in a couple guys that are completely cold to take them. One of them who's only 19 years old. This England team is young. This England team is very talented. I think they'll be back, but they had a golden opportunity here. But for 115 minutes or so, it didn't look like they really had any interest in seizing it, even at Wembley. So I think disappointing result, but it'll be interesting to see what happens from here to me. Um, hey, next year in Cotter. <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's coming home it, it, next year. Next year. It's, it's still coming. It's still coming home. Uh, now we just get to join in in the suffering for just a little, a little longer. The most I've been involved in it ever. I've, I've always, you know, liked England. Um, some of the I, I'm obviously biased, but I think some of those yellow cards could should have been reds, especially with that Absolutely. horse collar. I mean, people get yeah. you get Absolutely. threatened to get thrown out of a game in the NFL for that. Absolutely. No, there's no doubt about it. On um, was that Jorginho? How, how do you say his name? I don't know how to pronounce. Oh, the guy with the bad nail pattern baldness. Yeah, he he has some other things to worry about. Yeah, but but yeah, absolutely. But that that was the thing, and I think we're going to talk about basketball here in a minute too. Something that they've been doing there, and they did in this Euro final, is they really let the boys play. Like they are not calling a lot. Um, they're letting a lot of aggression get away, I think. And you know what? Like in that environment, that's something where England should be prepared to take advantage. But frankly, they weren't. And Italy went ahead and they took advantage. And so they took advantage by getting yellow cards that maybe could have been red. They had 21 fouls, could have been 30, could have been 35. But that's what you have to do in that environment. This is the last game of the year. This is it. Like you win or you lose. You got to go all out, and it just didn't feel like England was going all out. Yeah, when you say that Italy was playing hard, I'll give you that in a few ways. So let's stick on the international side of things, just because I want to bring this up, and we'll get to the NBA Finals in a minute. But sticking on international and basketball, uh, Bo, as you mentioned, going to talk about basketball. What about Team USA dropping those two exhibition games? Uh, one to Nigeria, and then I can't remember who the second Australia. one. Australia. Australia. I mean, Australia is a pretty good. They put a little no. bit of emphasis on it, but I mean, they're not an NBA All Star team by any means. They got fucking Patty Mills. No, <laughs> we do not lose in basketball to Nigeria and Australia. Did you see that Did one Nigerian guy absolutely? absolutely reject Kevin Durant? Yes, I did. And it was, that is that guy's posterizing moment. 
that he should have a statue in Nigeria because that is awesome. And the one thing that I want to bring up with that as well that's come out is the way that uh, the U.S. players are having to adjust to the FIBA rules of international basketball where you don't get the foul call just because of who you are or because someone bumps into you. Kevin Love jumped into a defender while trying to shoot a three, trying to get like a four-point play, and the referee looked at him like he was outrageous, like, what the hell are you doing on the court out here? Like, you're not going to get those calls. That might be good reason why we losing we're actually having to play basketball first of all why is he on the olympic team let's just who else backed out it's like andy dalton being brought into the pro bowl like you are the 19th selection on a 12 person squad bradley beal (laughs) got removed from the team today for uh some type of health reasons i like bradley beal yeah i do too who got brought in they were working to replace him, so it had not been named yet. Probably going to be somebody playing in the finals right now. Well, I guess not, because they won't have a chance to get the finals done if this goes seven for them to make the opening and deal with the COVID protocol. Yeah. I mean, that's clearly the biggest thing, right? Like, I'm, I mean, I'm looking that they're active. I'm looking at their roster that they have posted right now and Chris, Chris, includes Chris Middleton and Devin Booker. Yeah, I was going to say Chris Middleton's going to have to catch that Milwaukee to Tokyo flight. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, that that doesn't help them. But at the end of the day, the 19th guy from the U.S. should still, like, this team should still be capable of beating anybody. I mean, it just shows, I think, how far basketball has come as an international sport, which is interesting. You have something else on that, Alex? It's yeah, crazy. no, the, the the fact that Popovich had to come out as salty as he was in back-to-back press conferences. I'd be, I would be salty too, yes, but I would also have some, some moment of, you know, self-awareness that, yeah, there's a systemic problem with this team right now. It's not that the rest of the world is, oh, infinitely better than it used to be. No. There is a systemic problem with this team. There is zero chemistry. So you've got to figure that out. And maybe that's what the kinks are right now. Because you look and this is a good transition towards the NBA Finals. The team with the best chemistry was the Phoenix Suns. And they have still, they still were leading with seven minutes to go last night. And seven or eight minutes to go last night. And they only had one guy, and that was Devin Booker, hitting shots. And that was in Milwaukee. You look at Milwaukee, they are the traditionalist team, you know, that leans on you, that plays big. You know, they're trying to wear down this young team in Phoenix. And now we're two two. Bo, I to me this series screams seven. And I think if I if I had to lay money on it, I would say Suns and Seven, but I am only like ten percent confident in that over what I would be with the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. The What I've learned, if anything, from so far in this series is it's really hard to win on the road in the NBA, especially in the NBA Finals. I really thought Phoenix was going to pull away 3-1 there. And that, you know, going into sort of the fourth quarter of that game last night, what is it, July 15th right now? Um, obviously, uh, that didn't happen. I, I think that chemistry thing is exactly right, too, though. And 
Or, or I like this systemic idea that you're putting forward, something that's interesting this week. I don't know if either of y'all watched this WNBA All-Star game, Team USA versus the WNBA All-Stars. Once again, Team USA supposed to be, you know, hand-selected to make this team versus the remaining WNBA players that were All-Stars. So you basically got the hand-select of the best players in WNBA, the guys that you want, the ladies that you want, and they still lost. So is there maybe something going on at Team USA higher up? Well, yeah, and that that's an interesting concept because they were talking on sports radio down here today about changing the NBA All-Star game and doing it as U.S. versus international and going back to the old way where college kids or maybe a under 23 uh, goes on to represent the U.S. in the Olympics. And then we have the World Basketball Classic, you know, whatever the World Baseball Classic equivalent is. Mm-hmm. You know, that becomes the World Cup of basketball, and that's the professional side. Then you have the Olympic side, which is all you 22, 23, whatever. And for the all-star game, you put guys like Giannis. Uh, or like Giannis, you have uh, Joker. You have all of the international guys come through, and they form a super team. And then you've got the U.S. on the other side. Now, think about those Manu Ginobili teams when he was an all-star. There are a lot of guys that really could have made that interesting. You know, Akeem Olajuwon. I don't think in any way that this flies. I think for the money alone, it will never. It will never happen. And but I mean, it's an interesting concept. Sending a, sending NBA players to the Olympics. I mean, like we have to Dirt. do that. It's why and like yeah, why? Who doesn't want to go to the Olympics? Like I, some of these guys like don't seem to want to go. Like each time, who doesn't want to go to the Olympics? All Up you- until we lost in, I think it was '88. We finished third in basketball. I think we got bronze that year. And that was when they decided to form the dream team. Before that, it was all college players. Yeah, but since then, we don't lose. I, we may have lost one other time. We were, last week, we, lost 58. we were, what, 58-2 and two until last week? Yeah. And I still don't in understand all international that. competition. I mean, I know none of us here are Olympic athletes, but, like, would either of you, if you got the chance to go to the Olympics as an athlete, would you just be like, no? Not a chance in hell. Like, all you of course, do, I would go in a heartbeat. You, you get to march yeah, in front of you the chop world, off my leg. all the pageantry, you get to say that you're the best in the world, get a gold medal, pretty much locked in, allegedly, if you're the U.S., and you get to party in the Olympic Village. That's a big perk. And these guys... That is a big side perk. And these guys, like uh, how I always like to mention James Harden, these guys go out and party anyway. He loves strippers. You think that James Harden, like, shouldn't be put in with the most physically fit people in the world? Him and Lemon Pepper Lou need to go to the Olympics. Yeah, these guys need to go. Once they're there, it really shouldn't be that much of an issue. I know that's kind of elitist saying that they should win gold every time, but they should win gold every time, and they should go. They should represent the NBA like that. Yeah, I mean, this is the closest sport to if American football was played at the Olympics. I mean, like, basketball, that's... America should dominate that. There's no doubt about that. You know, these have been exhibitions. It'll be interesting to see what happens in Tokyo. 
And it'll be interesting to see what happens the rest of this week in the NBA Finals. No doubt. Who do you have, Bo? I, I still got the Suns. I still got the Suns. I mean, as you said, they're, they're by far play as a team, I think, better than anybody. Devin Booker has just been so fun to watch. I don't. I think if he's not in foul trouble in that game last night, that the Suns maybe still win that one. But he got into foul trouble pretty early. I think he had to rest a bit in the third quarter over that. And then I know he fouled out, I think, with almost four minutes left. I think that plays a massive role in that loss because it was still only six points. It, it has um, been a little bit more interesting than I thought the series was going to turn out. I thought it was going to be a 4-1 Suns, something like that. Uh, Suns and four? Yeah. Suns and four. <laughs> <laughs> Love that, dude. So good to, good to see it be a little bit interesting. We're trying to move along here. We also had the All-Star break. Speaking of All-Star games and breaks, uh, we had the MLB Home Run Derby, and we had the All-Star Game. The NL lost for the eighth year in a row, I believe, and Pete Alonzo repeated as the Home Run Derby champion. Shohei Otani went out in the first round, unfortunately, but that might have been... Um, it was the second-best round of the tournament compared to um, Alonzo's, where he hit four more then the guy who beat Otani, uh, Juan Soto, beat Otani 38-21, to and Alonzo beat Salvador Perez 35-28. to So those were definitely the two most entertaining rounds of the entire derby. Um, and then Alonzo beat Soto and then beat Trey Mancini, uh, coming back with 23 home runs in the final round. So he repeats. Pete Alonzo won a million dollars for that. He's now won $2 million in the home run derby in the last two years. That is more than Pete Alonso has been paid in his career by the Mets. Wow. The Mets still pay Bobby Bonilla on the best day of the year, July 1st, over a million dollars each year. I was going to say, that's not even two Bobby Bonilla days. Yeah. So Bobby Bonilla has been paid more by the Mets in the last two years than Pete Alonso, the reigning two-time home run derby champion, has. So maybe that's your fun financial stat of the day. And then we went into the All-Star game. I mean, I don't think anything really that outstanding to me. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is a monster. Uh, I think he was, what, the youngest MVP maybe. I, he, he beat Griffey by 160 days, something around there, for youngest All-Star game MVP. He looked good. He always looks good as long as he's healthy. NL made some errors. Um, there were some bad pitches in there uh, for a little bit. Looked like the NL could get a little bit back into it, but no. Um, I think Joe Buck talking to batters like during their at bat is pretty interesting. Um, That's stupid. It is. If you could, I can't bat him trying to hit with that going on. If you had to talk to one person during your at bat, I don't know if I would pick Joe Buck. Who would you pick? Probably Griffey. There you go. Yeah, just you could ask him for advice. Yeah. He, he says, what pitch do you think's coming? And you say, what pitch do you think's coming? Exactly. Have him up there in the booth. There's, uh, maybe that's what the Astros were doing. They had they just had their guys. Joe Buck was sending them the signs. Like Lance Berkman or Craig Biggio up there? I, I, thought, I thought the Owatani thing was so fun. I know he went over to and he, you know, didn't uh, – 
got out in the first round, but but that first round battle is awesome. I'm really looking forward to watching his career continue progress. If he plays the way he has so far this year and keeps doing the type of stuff he's doing just for a couple more years, I think he's like easy first ballot Hall of Famer. And I know it's early to say stuff like that, but it's just incredible. I'll be My honest, only time, I, yeah. w- I went out to watch that home run derby because yeah. of Otani. I, I I've always Absolutely. watched the home run derby and I watch it from home, but I just thought this year I'm like, I want to see this guy hit. Uh, being on the East Coast, I don't usually watch a lot of West Coast games. I can see highlights, but to see him do that, you know, live on the national stage, I wanted to see it. So I was like, I'll go out and watch Otani hit. And right after he lost, I left, but it was fun to go out and watch. And then the yeah. next day, you know, the the way that it's ruled is definitely different in the actual All Star game. It's different for pitching, but. Uh, he actually recorded the win. So, loses, loses in the first round of the home run derby, but puts on a show, and then comes back the next night and records the win starting for the American League. I'm sorry, Bo, what were you saying? No, I, yeah, like, to, to go out and crank 28 over the wall in that home run derby format, and then come back the next day and just shut him down the first inning, and then keep going, it's just it's so fun to watch. It's it's awesome. And the only critique I could have of that All-Star Week, because it was one of the better ones, I think, in quite a while, I'm with you. I, It's like a little hard to get into it the last few years, although Ohitani made it worth watching, is I really wish they would go back to every player wearing their own jersey. I hate these, like, blue... American League jerseys that they were wearing. They're terrible. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I, I've seen that's been pretty much the idea that I've heard everywhere across social media is everyone's thinking the exact same thing as us. Go back to wearing your actual jerseys. We might have reached Alex's obligatory audio failure of the day, brought to you by Lauderdale Hospitality Group. Zing. <laughs> So maybe while he's trying to get back on, uh, Bo, this is a this is a good one for you to go along with the Angels players, where Mike Trout, Mike Trout's hurt still, I think, and Otani might be the two best players in baseball right now. They're still not doing too hot in the AL West. It's a tough division, but the MLB draft that also happened right afterwards, um, or right before, actually. Uh, how many rounds was it this year? It was um, twenty. It was twenty this year. It's usually four. Yeah, yeah. I think it used to be fifty until a couple of years ago, right? So the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim in twenty rounds took twenty pitchers, unheard of. They did not select one position player. I love it. I I, I think it's so hard to win in professional sports. It's so hard, and so. To me, you have to do stuff that's different. Will picking 20 pitchers this year, will that actually work? Is that the right approach? We don't, we can't know. We won't know for another at least five years and it's probably 15 years. But I absolutely love that they clearly saw some sort of inefficiency. They said, we need pitching. They said, this is a great class of pitchers, and 
Other teams are going to go out there and draft at positions, and so we can get a lot more value at pitcher, and we don't feel like we have to be balanced this draft just for the sake of it. It's minor league baseball. Like, you you can fill your roster, your rosters. That's not going to be a problem. If you see the inefficiency of pitcher, you got to go for it. And I absolutely love that. I think it will work out for them, but it'll be interesting to see. If you're going to try, we talked many times on this show, if you're going to try and win championships, you have to do stuff different. You have to be aggressive. And that's what they're doing here. I think it's great, but maybe you agree, disagree. I don't know. I love to see it. I think it's very interesting. I feel like it's worth a shot. I don't think anyone else has done it before. I mean, obviously no one would do it with 40 rounds. Someone could definitely do it with five rounds if that's what they needed. Um, I I think it'll be a lot of fun to watch it turn out if you have the, you know, desire to actually follow how that goes for a few years. Maybe they just think one of them will turn out to be another Otani. Maybe they think 20 of them will turn out to be an Otani and they don't need to draft position players. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the hardest thing I think to do as one of these GMs is do stuff like this. Do something like wacky and crazy. Because these guys have to be thinking in the back of their minds, I'm on a short leash. If things go poorly, I get fired. But you cannot win championships thinking about it that way. You take the risk. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Alex told me that the Brooklyn Nets going out and trading for James Harden and trading away the future was a terrible play. I still think it was the right play. It didn't work this year. Um, but you have to take those sorts of risks. I see this as similar. They're like, I see an inefficiency and I'm going for it. Well, think about it this way, Bo, now that I'm back. Thank you. Um, it, going back, not, not to get too textbooky, but you and me as economics majors, you know, this is factors of production. You know, if you, you can create a trade imbalance very quickly if you have more of one thing than the other and you can produce something. So sometimes in economics, one plus one can equal three. I think that's exactly what happened with what they did. And you've seen it in the past with the NFL, with, you know, players and or teams in seven rounds drafting seven defensive players. The same concept here, only on a much larger scale. I love it. And they are going to get their guy and extra value just by taking those pitchers and just dealing them off one by one. They may end up keeping like six of these dudes by the time they reach their major league maturity. Maybe all the rest are going to be trade fodder for somebody better. And I, I think it's a brilliant move. That, I, li- I like that comparison, the comparative advantage of developing pitching talent. I'd love to see some analytics or stats or like, are they capable of doing that? Do they have like better talent for some reason at doing that? But maybe that's it. Maybe they do believe that. I do know that a couple teams drafted 19 pitchers. A couple teams drafted 18. So uh, there may be a few teams trying something similar. But it's uh, it's an interesting thought. I kind of like that. I'd love, I'd love if somebody on what Fangraphs or whatever took a deeper look at that. I'm sure there's someone at Fangraphs on that. Somewhere in 10 years, there's going to be some economics undergrad writing their pieces on this. And like, hey, this this made a lot of sense. And And this is why trade agreements right now are total crap. And the first guy that they took, 
Uh, they took him at nine, and they took him above Kumar Rocker. So that's saying something for what they believe in this kid out of Miami, Ohio, or maybe they're idiots. I don't know. One or the other, but Rocker seemed like a relatively sure thing for scouts all through the years. So I'm excited to see that. Angels also fired their broadcaster during this whole thing. They have Matt Vasgersian, who does uh, national stuff with ESPN and MLB Network. Um, so they have a guy fill in for him when he's doing his national work. So during probably the biggest baseball week of the year, they fired that guy too. Is Vasgersian still doing uh, MLB The Show? Yeah, he's still the guy there. So he's busy. He has to do recording. I think that's based out of San Diego, so he's at least not too, too far. Mm -hmm. But then he has the uh, ESPN, and I don't know if he still does MLB Network at all, but I know he's bounced around all those while doing Anaheim games uh, uh, whenever he can do those, whenever time allows. Uh, I think that's about it for baseball. Uh, Ole Miss got their hearts broken with – uh, prep kid Jackson Job, a pitcher being taken at three. Uh, his slot bonus was $7.22 million for the third pick in the MLB draft this year. So at that point, I can pretty much justify not going to school. He can always go back. Uh, but he, hard to see him go, but I totally understand when he is not going to be on campus anymore. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's unnecessary, but a lot of those contracts will include a stipulation that they'll pay for the last year of undergrad or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's the that's the sticking point, I guess. Yeah, like it, it doesn't matter at that point. I'm just like, yeah, that thirty five thousand dollars of room and board and tuition is going to really break you. Hey, it doesn't go against the slot bonus, and every cent matters. That's how you make it. There you go. Okay, early, early, early dumb question. <laughs> what is the lowest draft spot? You what is if you have dropped below this point in the major league draft that you would say, nah, screw it. I'm going to college and then, you know, with the age requirement, the years out of service from high school, that you would go back in. Betting on yourself. What is the lowest slot bonus? And Rob, you've got all the stats on what that sliding scale is. Yeah, I don't think as Alex. Goes, How much money would you pass up to go to school? You cut out there for a second, but we we know what you said. Uh, I don't think that's a dumb question at all. And I use Gunnar Hoagland as a prime example, uh, who was a first round pick by the Pirates uh, out of high school back when I was still at Ole Miss. And then he ends up coming to Ole Miss for what was three years, a COVID year, obviously cut short. Uh, he was a top 30 pick. I think he was like 21, 22-ish. And he turned that down. So the slot value for around there is, you know, between uh, 3 and $3.36 million this year. And he turned that down. I think there's... I've said it many times on this show. There's different factors. It depends on the organization that picks you, their development plans for high school pitchers. A lot of those guys, you know, don't turn out. I've said it many times where college competition is getting better. You're going to get more innings. You're going to get more meaningful innings. I can't tell you how many times as a Marlins fan I've sat and watched our draft picks. I actually had a listener call in, try to call into this show, 
earlier while we were doing this live to talk about the Marlins draft, and I told him that I couldn't quite do that right now. Uh, but we'll get to we'll get to him after the show. Um, but how many of these guys burn out, or how many of these guys that are high draft picks, and you really want to see them, and they're pitching, you know, a combined twelve to twenty innings in their first year in a in a team's minor league system when you could be like a Gunnar Hoagland and go in and be a Sunday starter or a midweek guy and get meaningful innings against SEC teams, play in the SEC tournament, go to Omaha, do all that stuff. At that point, I think just the work as you develop and as you continue to grow as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid is more valuable than sitting in a spring training facility and pitching 12 innings in a full season. That's my opinion on it, and he would have made a lot more money if he didn't get hurt. He still made more money and increased his draft spot as a first-round pick, needing Tommy John this year midseason than he did out of high school. So I'm all supportive of it. I would turn that down. Again, it depends on the it depends on the organization that drafts you too. I think that's you know the number two factor in it. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I mean, it's so contextual. What school are you at? You know, do you get along with and like the development plan of the team that picked you? All those things Rob said. I mean, the, I think only two-thirds of first-round picks ever even make the show, so it's still not like a done deal if you're a first-round pick that you're going to make it to the show. That being said, to me, there's a, certainly a lot of injury risk if you decide to stay and you were offered a big bonus. To me, somewhere around, if you're a first-round pick, if you're getting a seven-figure bonus, it's hard for me to justify not taking that opportunity, and then you can always go back to school. Um, if it doesn't pan out, that being said, the injury risks are perhaps lower than they've been in the past. Rob, you pointed out like a lot of these guys get drafted high with Tommy John. So I just think it's so contextual. It depends on what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and how old you are, all those things. So it's, it's hard to give a number, but if I had to give a number right now, I'd say like a million bucks and or a first round draft. Uh, and I like to use, this is going way too far in depth on it, but I like using a Marlin as reference. I like using Tyler Kolick and his brother, Stephen Kolick. Stephen Kolick was not rated as high, but these guys were throwing, you know, Tyler Kolick threw over 100 miles an hour coming out of high school. He took the first round money, didn't develop any other pitches when he got to the Marlins minor league system, tried living as a starting pitcher off of throwing 100 miles an hour, and within a year he was with Tommy John and never heard of him again. His brother Steven, less talented, went to Texas A&M, pitched for a few years with them, actually developed and had some time in the SEC. And like Bo said, it depends on what school you have the opportunity to go to. These guys pretty much have you know, their pick of the litter. But he ended up having a longer, better career as a lower-rated prospect by actually going to school and taking care of his body and not trying to throw 100 miles an hour for the rest of his career. Happens all the time. What would be your number, Alex? I'd have to say... If I'm betting on myself, I'd want to say I'd be a first-rounder, but even a mid-second-round slot, it's hard to pass up that money. Just knowing how fickle you know, the injury situation is, that if you've got guaranteed money, it's the same thing that we talk about in football with juniors or draft-eligible sophomores in the NFL. 
uh, or NCAA going to the end, uh, going to the NFL. You take the money. I understand uh, that it's hard. It is uh, $1.08 million was the slot bonus for the final second round pick this year. Yeah, I'm taking the money. And that's yeah. going to increase every year, too. So It's, yeah. so, it's so contextual because I think you can make a case for some kids that they're a 15th round pick and they should leave. And I think there are times when you can make a case that a guy's like a 15th overall pick and he should stay. So... Maybe it depends too on your family on your family situation. Like Johnny Manziel didn't need a football scholarship to play at Texas A and M. Like his family very right. well could have paid for that. There's baseball players like that too. Uh, so I think we've gone pretty pretty far into baseball, which I happen to go down rabbit holes. That is my fault. Other than that, I think we we wanted to cover. The, uh, was it the British Open started? Yeah, British Open today. started Louis, today. Louis Oosthuizen is leading. Uh, that's about all I know. I've been quite busy today. I have not been able to um, take a look at the Open. Uh, I'll take a look at the standings right now. Alex, you've been following it more than I'd probably say both of us. What are your thoughts? It's Thursday, first yeah. day of the tournament. It's at Royal St. George's. Uh, really, the only thing is I saw the head groundskeeper. Uh, for Royal St. George's, and he looks absolutely wild, and I love it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's a coastal course, and you know the wind is going to kick up in Kent. It is going to be an interesting final two rounds, I think, um, as the weekend comes closer. Six under for Uthazen in the first round. Very, very strong. I think that the whole pack, they're one or two guys at five under and a bunch at four. That's going to come back because those pop bunkers are going to get you. Anybody who can just lay the ball down the middle, I think wins this, which does set to Oosthuizen very well. Uh, John Rahm was the odds-on favorite coming in. I'd love to see Danny Willett win it. Um, I just... I don't know if an Englishman takes this. I think it's going to have to be one of the heavy hitters who can go through the wind. It's not going to be Bryson. It's not going to be Brooks. It's going to be somebody who just can lay one out. I really don't have a favorite right now in this, but Ustazen, great first round. If he carries, and I think he probably wins it at, he might win it at six. I think he might shoot even for the rest of the, for the rest of the tournament. But I really don't see this going to be a a 10-under British. This is a very, very tough course uh, to get through. Shout out to Stuart Sink being 4-under. And Webb Simpson, too. I I was going to say, I see see Speed here 5-under in second place. He won it in 2017. Do you think he's got any shot? He's a basket case, though. Ever, Ever since he went on that run, we were crowning him as the next Tiger. You know, he has had this mental complex where he implodes at some point during a major. I would love to see him do it. Good Texas guy, get out there. But I, I just, I can't trust the inconsistency there. Tommy Fleetwood, the closest, the closest Englishman, along with Andy Sullivan. I don't think any of them are going to catch it. I'd love Where's to see Where's my him. boy Robert Rock? I don't know if Robert Rock showed up for this one. Oh, come on. 
He's got the best hair on the European tour. I'm not seeing him in the top 50. He doesn't have the oh, best score. Not... I don't even know if he's playing in this tournament. But, I mean, with the leader at minus six, there's, there's where's still Danny, Where's Danny Willard? He was at three under the last I saw him at the pub. He's at three under. He's tied for ninth. All right. That's my dude. The dude from Sheffield. Let's go. I like it. Uh, we we can get behind that. I, I'm for Jordan Spieth. I, I kind of like basket cases. I, I think he can do it. But. <laughs> I think this is the only time we've referred to a golfer as a basket case. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll go with my boy Morikawa again. If I keep picking him, he's bound to win one. But it, it's hard not to take mm-hmm. Stuart Sink. So that's about all I can do for golf. Uh, Djokovic won the one Wimbledon. I don't remember who else won the women's or the doubles, anything like that. That was going on. Doubles were going on right before that Euros final. And we are trying to get Bo out of here soon. So let's roll into a dumb question. We had a couple. We've really just been saving up for uh, our Olympic-themed question coming up and really just taking a layup on this week to prepare for that. We're really excited about it. So let's do uh, let's do a quick dumb question. Uh, no one knows this. Uh, I looked it up right before the show. I haven't even thought mine all the way through yet. But what are your top three gas station snacks of all time? And I want to put one stipulation on this where... We have all spent a good amount of time in Mississippi, and Mississippi gas station food is an all-time, like, that's actually where people go to eat sometimes, and the food is quite high quality. Make fun of it all you want. You don't know it until you've tried it. So you can't count anything that would actually be like a meal at a Mississippi gas station or like a meat and three or anything like that. It's got to be like actual gas station snacks you could get at any Chevron or Sunoco when you're driving through any random part of the country. Dang, that, that's a little disappointing because it would have been nice to say something like ribs. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, a rack of ribs? Yeah, yeah, yeah like what, what's better in the car than a, than a full rack? Uh, for me, my go-to is definitely always always some beef jerky. You got to get some beef jerky. The peppered for sure, spicier the better. And then, then I don't know. Throw in some chips and something sweet. Maybe a gummy, maybe a chocolate. Depends on what kind of mood you're in. But as long as that beef jerky's in there, it's good. If they sell ribs, the answer's ribs. Yeah, it's a good take. Jerky, jerky is a solid number one. And the teriyaki jerky, oh, yeah, that's up there. I don't know. The pepper's so much better than the teriyaki. I... I don't see pepper as much down here as I see teriyaki, so I'm just going off my gas stations. <laughs> um, I would say, you know what? Give me Chex Mix in there because that doesn't make your hands greasy and it fills up. The other thing is a bag of peanuts. I will take the bag of peanuts all day long. If it's right there at the checkout counter, I will go. I will go bag of peanuts number three. Extra points if you can get boiled peanuts. Oh, yeah. But definitely not everywhere has that. If you're outside of, like, the Georgia immediate area, like, 
East Alabama, like probably the Central Alabama, Georgia, and like North. Florida. Yeah, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, North Florida. That's where you get boiled peanuts. If they're selling ribs, they probably have it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go, since you all took jerky, I, I've been on a lot of road trips with Bo. Uh, I, I know his love of jerky, which is justified. I'm going to go with gummy bears. I once helped, I, no, I once ate a pound of gummy bears on a one-way trip from Oxford to uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. So that's like four and a half hours, close to five hours. Ate a pound Sounds of like bears. diabetes. Yeah, uh, we bought a three-pound bag, and the bag was gone, so I'm going to credit between three people that we uh, that we took down a pound each. Uh, I'm going to go with peanut M&Ms, because that's just, like, my favorite thing in the world. And then I can't remember what these are called. If I could put a drink in there, I would say, like, a Coke Slurpee, like if you hit a 7-Eleven. Uh, I would definitely throw that in there, something nice, cold, uh slushy type thing um but what are those things they they're like pepperoni flavored um oh oh shoot they're, uh they're not bugles um rollos no Whatever. no those are chocolate things yeah rollos are chocolate and caramel uh, what's the which are also a good good hole on this one um oh shoot i know exactly what you mean the things in the little pretzel. Yeah. Uh, combos. 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 Yeah. The, like, pepperoni combos. Pepperoni pizza combos. I have never had a pepperoni pizza combo. Have you ever had combos? No. I've uh, never had. I wouldn't even know what to look for. I mean, I would probably take jerky over that, but you both you both took jerky, so I'm going to say combos. Out of the... Mm-hmm. Out of the two others that I listed, combos would probably be lower, the lowest on that scale. But like, if someone hands you a bag of pepperoni pizza combos, you're pretty happy. Oh yeah, need to go by the Wawa later and grab myself some combos. Yeah, definitely try it. Okay, so I think that was pretty successful. Like I said, we are leading up into you. Obviously, a lot of people's favorite times comes around once every four years, the Summer Olympics. It's going to be a blast for the next month or so. Uh, just as we finish an international competition, we have like a week or two break and have all-star game and an NBA finals and Wimbledon and uh, the British Open in there. So that is a pretty good lead-up, and we will get it cranking back next week. I f- have a feeling we're going to have some great Olympic debates for sports that we have no idea what they are. Uh, I really want to get into an Olympic handball conversation with Bo. Uh, Bo and oh, I, yeah. Bo and I hold a collegiate intramural handball title, which we, Absolutely. which we, it's captured, on my resume. which we captured by playing it like basketball, just man up. Uh, That's it, man to man defense. Play hard, drive at the paint. All right, real quick, uh, because that's my. Most that's my favorite Olympic sport to watch is team handball. Do you all have a quick one as we lead into the Olympics? I mean, my favorite my favorite is curling, but they're obviously not going to be doing that in Tokyo. Uh, I guess like decathlon, all these sports where you do a lot of different stuff. I think are fun. Yeah, to me as a former track guy, you know the eight hundred and the mile 
are my absolute favorites. Uh, but off the track, it's definitely not rhythmic gymnastics, but the but the all around gymnastics is just an absolute electric factory. To steal your term, Rob, earlier, there's no there's no higher tense moment than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. But I gotta tell you. What's also fun is is like all the fighting stuff, the fencing and the judo and those, because it's like something you I know nothing about, and they make lots of loud noises and there's lots of lights and it's just kind of fun to watch. Yeah, that and speed walking. I love yeah, speed walking. I love sitting around and watching Olympic sports with Bo, and we can watch one of those events that we know nothing about, and he can just go, "Yeah, this guy sucks." <laughs> Badminton, they hit it so hard and the thing just dies. Ping pong, ping that's pong. in there. That's a great one. I know about ping pong. We're never going to win that one. Yeah, no, that's that's a Chinese dominated sport. That'll be when hell freezes over. So we are very excited. We hope you all are as well. If you want to give us a shout out to. Talk about your favorite Olympic sport. Hit us up on Twitter at TFTT underscore podcast, and we will definitely talk about it. So thanks, everyone. We hope you all have a great rest of your week, and we will see you all later.